This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, let's do this podcast, Moran Analytics Podcast, episode 142. We're live, or at least recording live, on this Wednesday evening. I'm coming to you from Sunny Reds in Sunny Lackawanna. Just minutes from New Era Field on Abbott Road. My guest today, a recurring guest, by the way, is a former Pro Bowl center for the Buffalo Bills and is now an analyst for the ACC Network, as well as the new Buffalo Bills game day radio color commentator. He'll be calling games with John Murphy this year. I'm talking, of course, about Eric Wood. What's up, Eric? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. It's been fun. I am... Really excited to have you. This is the third time you've done the show, but it's the first time, obviously, we've gotten to do this in person and meet. So it's nice to meet you. It's definitely a different vibe sitting across the table from you as opposed to Skype or a phone call for sure. And uh, it's no secret here. We're at Sunny Reds. We did just pound down some chicken wings, 20 of them at least to be exact. Named after you, by the way. It was appropriate. This is a big reason why I wanted to have this podcast here because literally they pay homage to you. They're called... Joe's signature wing with Eric Wood something. I know that your name is involved in the sauce that I thought I was like, I got to have Eric come here to do this. Yeah. So Joe refers to Joe Yergi, who's yeah. the chef and owner down in Mulberry. He, he was part of the group that opened up this spot. And, um, when we first got wings at Mulberry, they weren't on the menu down there and he had just made them for me and a couple other guys. Well, then I brought the offensive line down there one time and he made a bunch of wings again. They still weren't on the menu. Well, guys were going down there or calling down there on Fridays after practice. Hey, we need some wings, Joe. So they ended up putting them on the menu and he gave me a shout out through, through Mulberry at that time. And then when they came over here, you know, I think they wanted to say, Hey, these are those same wings, you know? And, um, so I'll come over here and support him. He's a great friend of mine, but the wings are good. You have to, you have to say that they are. And we're going to talk about those in a second before that though, man, I gotta, I gotta say this, dude, you look fantastic. I appreciate you it. You slimmed down, man. You really have you, you, not that you ever, you know, fat before you've always been big and strong, but man, you, you're sculpted right now. Man. Well, looking at pictures, I, I was definitely fat, you know, <laughs> and I can, I can find really fat ones They, they uh, you know, the, it's, it's hilarious how, how. I don't, my weight didn't shift that much while I was playing and some pictures I just look way fatter than others but I appreciate you saying that I, I've tried to get the weight off uh one of the things they suggested to even help the neck and I had six lower body injuries while I was playing losing the weight was something I knew I wanted to do when I was done playing in my first four months out I lost 53 pounds and I wow. pretty much just maintained that um which you know I kind of live by the 80 20 rule or 90 10 rule like you know, I can come have 15 wings here tonight and, but 
obviously I can't I can't do this every night or I'm going to be back at 300. <laughs> well, then you better stay away from me to see that's the problem man. complete opposite here, man. You look sculpted. You look great. I came to Buffalo 12 days ago. I was built like Cole Beasley. I'm going to be going back to Florida in a week. I'm going to look like 2009 Eric Wood. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, and you said in 12 days of eating wings, you gained 11 pounds. Well, I can gain like 12 pounds on a weekend trip to Key West, which was a couple, <laughs> uh, I guess a few weeks ago now. So uh, I got that in me too. I'll give you a rundown in a few minutes. I've been, like I said, 15 places over 12 days with chicken wings. It's kind of I'm doing this wings with series. I've had Sal Capaccio on. I've had Joe Yerner from The Athletic, Tim Graham. Now, of course, you. Let's talk about these wings for a second. I got to give Sunny Reds some props. They were really good, tasty, different. They weren't traditional medium. You know, the sauce had a kick to it, but it wasn't overpowering. Just like the wings themselves, they were good-sized wings. And they were crispy, but they weren't too crispy. Like, they didn't overpower you. They weren't crunchy. Yeah, they got a little bit of a chef's touch to them. They got, yeah. like, parsley kind of sprinkled on them. And the sauce has got a little more TLC in it than just Frank's Red Hot and Butter, you know. So I appreciate that. You know, you go to Mulberry, and and you know that about Joe. That guy can cook, and he's very intentional about what he puts in his food. And they took the same approach here at Sonny Red's with their wings and the pizzas and everything else. They were really good. And I've had them, by the way. This is the second time I had them. First time I had them, I gave them a review. You know I do my chicken wing review power rankings crap just for fun man but some people did not have fun with this place for the record anyone out there listening i never gave sunny reds a bad review i said that they weren't saucy the first time that was true man and a lot of the fans got after me over that the, the owner was cool then he's like my fault you know coming next time we'll make them saucier for you but i kind of got attacked by fans you know what i mean it's kind of like a football team in a way these wings represent football teams and if you you attack the football team, the fans are going to come after you. Not that I attack them, but... Well, the owner of the team, the owner of the restaurant, Justin, <laughs> comes down right before he serves him. He said, hey, you want them saucy, right? So yeah. he remembered. He remembered. <laughs> he definitely did, man. And I'll, I'll tell you this, and you know this, too, playing in Buffalo for as long as you have. When you say, like, for an example, if there's 100 places, we talked about this while we were having wings tonight. You go to 100 places in Buffalo, and you put this place... 30. That means they're in the top third of Western New York when it comes to wings. That doesn't sound so impressive when you say it that way among Western New York places, but that's that's more of a testament to just how good it is in Buffalo and Western New York in general. The wings, we talked about this too. If you take a place like Sunny Reds and you put this in Florida or Kentucky or Georgia and you have these wings, people would shoot each other for these wings in other states. You know what I mean? They're really, really good. It's just there's so many good places to go to to get chicken wings in Buffalo. Absolutely. And, you know, I find myself, you know, like when I get wings in Louisville, I'll go for like a smoked wing or something. Just a lot of places don't compare to here. And, it, and it's funny, though. Everybody's got different tastes. So your list, you know, it might be appropriate for a lot of people. But, you know, I got a buddy who when he comes up here, his favorite spot in the world is Duff's. Yeah. You know, that's his. And he owns a sports bar in Louisville. And every time he comes in, I want to go to Duff's. And I'm like, dude, I'm not... Uh, you know, in my opinion, I have places I like better and I don't eat, you know, when I was playing, I didn't, you know, I might have wings once every few weeks or once a month, you know, you tear up. You can only like binge like that every so often, you know, especially well, you during the season. Like well, <laughs> at the time I was a lot bigger than you, but um, regardless, he always wanted Duff's. Well, Duff's sent me a care package down of a bunch of wings when I did the wing eating contest against Thurman and all that. 
and a buddy of mine came over that same buddy came over and he, he was like dude i gotta get some it was funny let me run down the places that i've been to since i've been back and i've been to this is well actually i've been here before i've been to 52 places in buffalo for wings since i moved to florida in 2016 i get back a handful of times a year that's wild it's fun i don't know it started out as a joke and then i think i never took it serious but now some people do which by the way kind of sucks because I could have a good football conversation with somebody and they're like, okay, half, half the people like in this bar don't give a shit what I say about that. But if I start talking about chicken wings, everyone has an opinion, you know, what right. I mean? because they're so subjective. Like you like a wing a certain way, you like a certain place. And so does this person and that person. And I started po- putting out posts on, on my blog and talking about it on my podcast. And that's where I'm getting all the interaction from at this point. So I kind of made it more into what it is. But it's fun anyway. I don't know if you've ever been to any of these places. Probably not, because when you're here in Buffalo and you're playing football, you're on a much more of a regimen. First of all, you couldn't just go out and have chicken wings 15 times in 12 days like I've been right. doing. You might have maybe had one or two of these places, but this is where I've been to so far. Coles and Good Bar, have you had either of those nope. on Elmwood on the Strip? Been to Whale Center, um, Bases Loaded and Blaisdell and O'Neill's. Bases O'Neil's? Loaded, yes. O'Neill's, yes. That's right, yeah, right across the street from the stadium. I, I'm a big fan of that. Bases place. loaded with Scott Chandler's spot. Really? Yeah, we we used to play golf at Wanaka all the time, so we, you know, that was like a, a spot on the way home. We could stop if we wanted to grab wings or something. In the spring, we would be able to play some golf, and we'd stop there from time to time. That's cool. G McCarthy's. That's in like the old first ward. I know you. I'd never even heard of this place till last week. Macy's Place Pizzeria, great wings. Essex Street Pub is on the west side. You probably have. They're not really known for wings. By the way, my friend owns that place, and I've been friends with him for 40 years, and I kind of gave him a crappy chicken wing review. So I, that shows you that I take the, yeah, game, yeah, you're not I take the game serious. Not biased. Just like you when you're going to be doing announcing. We'll talk about that soon, but you got to be fair, right? So I had to, I had well, to I can be biased because I'm lo- on the Bills radio network. Now, the ACC will be a different thing. All right, that's true. Adolph's, I'm sure you haven't been there. Wellington Pub, Buffalo Tap House, that's downtown. No. It's sort of new, actually. Glen Park Tavern, no comment on them. Autobahn North, I did that show with Tim on Monday. And then uh, KO Sports Barn Grill and then Sunny Reds tonight. So There you go. That's a grind, dude. Yeah, dude, I, I guarantee it. <laughs> and, you know, I hadn't had good buffalo wings in a really long time. And I went all in. If we got 20, I ate 15 of them yeah. quick, too. And I was craving them. But I don't know that I want them again tomorrow. And I don't know if I want two spots tomorrow. You know, like you were knocking out doubles some days. When you played, you went to Ilios a lot on Sundays, yep. right? That was kind of a tradition before you that came. And I remember that you tried to keep that alive. That was, well, not for wings, but like for Italian, just Italian food for dinner and stuff like right. that. Right. Why did you want to keep that tradition going? You know, it's funny. It wasn't even about keeping it going. It was about getting it back going getting because right. it had it had fallen off for so long and guys would still go. And there was a lot of people within the organization. One of the first, you know, it might've been my first preseason game up here. My mom was coming up here. One of my buddies, my stepdad, I think came up and I just asked for a recommendation on a restaurant from someone in the training room, Bud Carpenter, a head trainer at the time said, take them to Julio's, you know, the preseason games end at 1030, you know, you're not going to get there till 11. They'll stay open and serve you some food and all that. So we go over there, and from the moment I walked in, Dennis made us feel like family. His son, Elio, is the same age as me, so we became buddies. And so that's kind of how it all started. And, you know, I, I, I get brand loyalty, similar to why I wanted to come to Joe's, mm-hmm. get Joe's Wings. You know, I, I get loyal to people in restaurants, and I almost feel bad going other places. But as close as we became with them, it just be, it just became a natural fit. And then 
it evolved over the years and our crews in Buffalo. So we always joked that once someone came to a Bills game, the next year they were definitely coming, but they would probably bring someone else. So our crews just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it got to the point where I could text Elio on a Sunday at you know, 10 a.m. Oh, shoot, I forgot to text you, but we have 22 people tonight. Hey, no worries. We got you. We, we knew you were going to call. So it, it made it very easy to go there. And then we would always watch Sunday Night Football there you know, afterwards, well, they would lock the door for us. And we, you know, we would have a bunch of guys from the team, my crew from in town. And if other people had people in town and we'd have us a little party in the bar area and the ringside lounge every week. And, and you know what, it was just a ton of fun. And it was the exact same thing they were doing in the early nineties, which is just hilarious that, uh, almost 20 years later, we're doing the exact same routine or actually 25, 30 years later. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I want to talk about some of the things you're up to now. Again, ACC analysts, and you're also going to be in the booth with Murphy here, calling Bills games, taking over for, for Kelso. Has getting back into broadcasting in year two since your retirement, of course, that, you know, was, it was an abrupt retirement. Has it made it easier for you to, to deal with in terms of maybe now because you're doing this, you'll feel a little more involved with, with the NFL by, you know, as opposed to what would have been hard last year, no matter what. And I'm sure it'll still in some levels be hard this year too, as well, but being in the booth, calling the games, having your input in the games, you think that might make this transition that you're still in the process of going through a little smoother and easier for yourself. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I missed being a round ball last year. I called one game for Fox last year. I called Kansas state at Iowa state and I called my wife after the game. I'm like, man, it just felt good talking ball with the coaches in the production meetings I never thought I'd feel like that you know I never thought I'd miss that aspect of it but I miss just talking ball with people you know I can have fairly intelligent football conversations with guys but when you were when we're talking scheme and football terminology it's a truly a different language and it was fun being around that it's fun being around the environment so I'm truly looking forward to it I'm I'm absolutely loving being more involved with the Bills organization again I missed that last year and you know, there was some stuff with my contract and the language and the injury and the settlement and all that, that there was no rift. There was no hard feelings from either side, but it just wasn't settled. And I had to keep my space from here. And that was tough. And I, and I didn't know how welcomed I was. And then I came up here early in the season last year and had come to a couple games and as welcoming as the Bagulas were and, and Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean and everybody it made me feel really good, and now it feels even better to be a part of it. And, and it'll be fun doing the radio broadcast for the Bills because I can truly root for the Bills as the game goes on. Now I'm not going to be a silly fanboy, and I'll give an honest take if someone messes us up and all that. But you know, we talked about it in a meeting recently. Most of our coverage, we want to talk about the Bills because that's why people are tuning in, sure. and that'll be natural for me because I'm going to want if, – if tomorrow night the Colts make a run play – for eight yards, I'm probably not going to talk about Marlon Mack made a great read. I'll be more like, hey, Tremaine Edmonds, you know, filled the wrong gap or whatever it may be. And that'll be natural for me. Yeah. How did the opportunity come about for you to get back in the, or to get into the radio with the Bills? How did that opportunity come for you? You know, I got a call to vet my interest on it. And Mark Kelso was looking to move on to his, spend more time on his racing yeah. team and all that. And, um, I had already accepted, it just had not been released, that I accepted the ACC uh, network analyst gig. So I'm like, shoot, I, I don't want to turn this down, but I don't know if I can do both. You know, I, I don't want to go from completely off for a fall to now I'm gone all week, every week through the fall. Well, 
My wife said she was fine with it. I explained to her, you know, Dave Lapham in Cincinnati, who I'm most familiar with from the color role, just growing up in Cincinnati. He's been there since I was a kid. These jobs don't come open very often. Right. And I'm like, I can't turn it down. And so the luckily the Bills were able to work it out with ACC Network that I'll always do at, at the very latest a Saturday morning game, potentially a weeknight game, but it'll be mainly, I'm sure, Saturday at noon, one, two, so I can always get to where the Bills are playing. And West Durham, the way they set it up, West Durham's going to be my play-by-play guy, and he's got to get the Falcons play-by-play. So every week we'll have we'll both be rushing to the airport to get somewhere else, but I think it'll be really fun doing both. I think you're a guy who's always been good. I'm talking about as a player, of course, now, because you're in the media now, but even as a player, you were always good with the media. Why do you think you've been able to do that? So many players... I've heard struggle. Like I, you had your WGR thing, I believe it was on Mondays during the season. Yep. You were on every Monday, and you were always articulate on that show and had good conversations with Shope and the Bulldog. But so, not every player is like that. Why do you think some players have such a tough time, maybe not necessarily speaking to the media, but dealing with the media? You know, I always try to treat the media with a certain level of respect. I try and treat everybody with a certain amount of dignity and respect, and that, that included the media. And there were times where, you know, I'd be ticked off after a practice or game and I really didn't want to do it. But you know what? When we were two and 10, they really didn't want to be sitting in our locker rooms either, but they got to pay their bills too. And they right. got to, they got to put a story out there. So I always try to be cordial with those guys. Um, you know, and, and I know, you know, I, I heard early on and Kyle Williams actually told it to me early in my career. Do we play a ball, a game with a ball for a living? Don't take yourself too serious. You know, treat people right, sign an autograph, take a picture, do that, do do that whole deal. And so I kind of took that approach with the media, like you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna help these guys out, give them a soundbite, or you know, I'm not I'm not gonna reveal our game plan, but I'm gonna give you something more than uh, we're moving on to Cincinnati. And right, and that was just always kind of how I dealt with them. And you know what? When I transitioned out, it was amazing how many of those guys reached out to me and said, Hey, if I can ever do anything for you, let me know. And, and I took some of them up on it, and then sure enough, I ended up being able to parlay that into a couple gigs that I'm excited about. Were you as a kid kind of outgoing and easy to talk to and, and, and you know, you would strike up conversations pretty well? Because like doing media stuff and interviews and podcasting, whether it's your, your podcast or like one we're doing now live from a bar, it's not busy yet, but I promise you before this podcast is over, there'll be a lot of people here at Sunny Reds and they're going to be looking at you. Do you get used to that? It's got to take a level of comfort getting used to having a mic in your face or a camera in your face at times like, like you have and like you're definitely going to be. Was, was that something that kind of came easy to you? You know, I, I've always been pretty comfortable speaking and, you know, having conversations. And, you know, part of that's probably I grew up before the social media trend and video games weren't quite as good as they are now. So right. we actually <laughs> associated with people face to face more when I was a kid. And I'm only 33. And I'm not acting like you know, I grew up in a in the Stone Age by any means, but you know, I think it's getting harder and harder for kids nowadays to separate themselves from the social media world and actually have true conversations. But um, you know, I've always been pretty comfortable with that. And then you know, you get more comfortable in college with a microphone or a camera in front of your face. And I was, you know, one of our captains or one of our top dogs for a while at Louisville. So you get more and more comfortable as it goes on. But you know, I've always been so passionate about football. It's easy to talk about something you're passionate about. Sure. When you played, whether it was at Louisville or during your career at the Bills, I'm sure you got some butterflies in your game on Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings. You get those butterflies going. You anticipate feeling some of them in the broadcast booth before you start calling Buffalo Bills games, even if it's just a preseason game, like, say, 
we're taping this on Wednesday night, so tomorrow night when they're playing the Indy, do you feel like you're going to get some of those butterflies going a little bit? Yeah, you know, definitely tomorrow night. Just being that there will be a level of uncertainty, just not really knowing what's coming. You know, we did a mock broadcast of the scrimmage last week, and we did some of our reads, and we cut down to Sal, and, and we, we worked that. But until you do it live, it's, you know, it's not – you don't know exactly what's coming. So I'm sure there will be some butterflies. Now it helps that I'm with an absolute pro in John Murphy and a guy like Sal Capaccio, who is so good at what he does. And, um, you know, those guys, even through this week, we're talking storylines, what we're going to hit on. We had our production meeting with Coach McDermott today. And so we have a good amount of information to talk about. But I'm almost a touch more worried about preseason than I am the regular season because the regular season – Almost every game will hinge down to the final quarter. Right. That's the way the NFL works. The point spreads generally range from two to seven. And that's how it works. When well, the preseason, we got a lot of spot, you know, a lot of time to fill with storylines and and but there there are some good ones. You know, Jonathan Williams, a backup running back for Indianapolis, who I blocked for, and Chad Kelly, you know, Jim's nephews coming back here to play, and Frank Reich, who a lot of people thought might be our next head coach is, is coaching against us and having a lot of success in Indy and he's Jim Kelly's best friend and this and that. So there are, there are storylines, but to answer your question with a very long winded answer, I'm sure I'll have some butterflies tomorrow. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I bet you there's some players that probably wish Frank Reich would have been the head coach about five, six years ago as well. I'm just saying, but anyway, <laughs> do you, uh, you look forward to, you, you kind of talked about this a little bit, being able to critique, having being a little critical but without being without bashing anybody and especially because you are working for the bills radio network like you said you're looking at it from a bills point of view as opposed to say if you were doing a cbs game or fox game which i think is totally different but i'm sure you're looking forward to be able to break down stuff on the air for fans that maybe you weren't able to do as a player because like you said man talked about game plans and stuff you didn't want to give too much away on gr right with your terminology but now all bets are off when you're in that box doing the games you know you're gonna get to be a lot more technical when it comes to, like say the offensive line you're gonna be able to talk about things a lot more now than you would have been able to when you did your radio appearance as a player for sure and, and on monday mornings i'm actually gonna do a film breakdown for the bills website which i'll really be able to get technical about now on the radio i gotta be careful getting too technical because the, the listeners can't necessarily see what I'm talking about. Now, hopefully, there's a lot of people that will be doing what we did as a kid and put the radio broadcast on and watch the game. And and in those cases, you know, I could, but I I can't. There's going to be a lot of people that work Sundays in their car that are going to be tuning into the Bills radio coverage or military, overseas, whatever it may be, and, and I, I don't want to leave them out. So I, I probably won't be too critical or too technical, I should say. And then as far as being critical – you know, I have a job to do and yeah. and I'm going to do it. And if somebody messes up and drops a pass, I'm not going to lie on the radio and say, oh, you know, maybe it was tipped or maybe the sun was, you know, if, he, if a guy blows it, he blows it. But it's one thing to say a guy dropped a pass and it's another thing to say this guy stinks yeah, get rid or, of or, you know, he's losing his focus. You have no idea how focused he is, you know. You have no idea what type of effort he put in throughout the week, and and that's one example. But um, I'm also getting to the point. I'm only two years removed, but there's been a lot of turnover in the last two years where a lot of these guys I don't really know, and they don't know me. So it's not like they're going to walk up to me after the game in the parking lot while we, you know, after the we used to tailgate after the games and let the traffic die. I don't know that I'll be sitting there with all these guys because I don't really know them that well anymore. So. 
it's it's also a little less pressure and you don't really hear so there might be a few tweets and whatnot but i never knew if kelso bashed me during a game now if phil sims was calling the game and he did it my twitter would light up and my buddies would text me but not a whole lot from the radio coverage so the pressure (laughs) is off a touch there i want to talk about the bills for a couple minutes here especially the offensive line i got eric wood on the podcast how can i not talk about the offensive line tons of new faces but early on in camp they've been bitten pretty hard by the injury bug of course you got mitch morris who's going through a concussion protocol again it's not his first concussion either that's got to be worrisome to a point long and feliciano are two guys that are They've missed time. They're going to be competing for at least a spot at guard. Waddle's already done for the year. That was unfortunate. A quad injury, he's gone for the year. Not the start they're hoping for at camp when it comes to the offensive line. How concerned are you with Mitch's Morse's concussion at this point? And it is still early. I wouldn't say you're too concerned right now. But because it's not his first, and also with this offensive line, because these guys are missing time, and you just said it, and you've only been removed for less than two years now, a bunch of new guys on this line continuity, that's going to be important too. And But when guys are hurt, like Long and like Feliciano, and they're not getting the reps out there, that's probably hurting. Are you concerned right now about this offensive line? Not in terms of talent, but in terms of them not being able to get together and practice at, at the same time. Well, I'll start off by saying I don't know the severity of the concussion, but I know Mitch Morris is not happy to have missed the spring and mm-hmm. then be missing time now. You know, as a competitor, as a leader on offense, being the highest paid center in the league he's naturally going to be thrust into a leadership role and I think his personality fits that too I know it's probably killing him not to be out there and and it's probably hurting the continuity a little bit because your center is your vocal leader right and they want him out there for sure now as far as the rest goes you know I think they have some very capable bodies that that are competing and, and and it should be a very improved product on the field from all I've heard, Deion Dawkins is having a great fall camp and had a great spring in what is a bounce back year. And, and it's not easy. You know, me and Richie poured a lot into Deion his rookie year. Well, last year there wasn't that type of leadership around him, and it's easy to fall off a little bit. And I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm, no, I'm, right. I'm giving him a little bit of a pass. I get it. You know, Richie was pushing him every day in the weight room. So was I. And, and it's just, it's natural that maybe. Now I'm I'm thinking Dion's going to have a great bounce back year at left tackle. You bring in Spain, who's been a productive left guard. You got the highest paid center in the league. Hopefully he can come back off this concussion. And now you got a little competition on the right side, and you got a high second round pick. You have Nasheki, who's a beast, and then you got guys that have played a lot of snaps in this league in Long and Feliciano. And you got the kid you drafted last year, Wyatt Teller, who I've heard has had a pretty good training camp as well. Now all of a sudden you got eight guys competing. Well, that should raise everybody's level up a little bit, and, and, but we'll see how it goes. But the continuity you speak on, that was actually what I asked Coach McDermott in the production meeting, which all kind of got a giggle that I, of course, would ask about the offensive line. <laughs> but, but that's a true cause for concern because they want the guys out there and they want them to gel as a unit. Now, I think um, what's often overlooked is how quickly guys that are smart and tough and have played in this league already – how quick they can probably come together and play. You know, we'd pick up free agents at times along the offensive line and plug them in after a week or two, and they'd play at a pretty high level. You know, throughout my career, I saw that. So, um, you know, there's not – it's not the end of the world that Mitch Morris isn't out there and that they've had some injuries, but the, the sooner he can get back, the better. Cody Ford, you mentioned him. He's played guard and tackle in college, number 70 now. I like that. Paid homage to you. I like that. 
McDermott said he would start off at tackle, and he did. But now he's been playing recently at guard the last couple practices. Not sure how it's going to play out again. We're taping this Wednesday, so the game hasn't happened yet. On Thursday, do you feel like he's better suited for guard or tackle, or do you need to see more NFL film to kind of make that dis- to make that decision? Now, you're somebody, by the way, who everybody knows Bills fans know, you played center and guard in college, and you started your career, actually, at guard in the NFL. Well, I only played center in college. I played 49. That's right. All 49 games of my whole career at center in Louisville. Right. And then... They moved me to guard the for the game of the Senior Bowl, not the practice, just for the game, probably just to see how I would react. And I played pretty well. And then the Bills end up making me the first guard drafted in the draft, you know, and um, which is absolutely wild how things work out like that. But um, to answer your question on Cody Ford, I think it's easy to say, oh, he's six three, put him at guard. And I got played at a pretty high level in college at tackle and started off training camp playing at a pretty high level. Now. I think the impetus right now is finding who the best five are, and you want to get your five best on the field. And if putting Ty at right tackle and him at right guard makes the most sense from getting your best guys out there, I think you do it. And you can always move him back out, and he has versatility to go back out. Let's say Nasheki gets hurt. Well, now you bump Cody Ford out there, and you still get Long, Feliciano, whoever doesn't win that you know, right guard spot. You put him at right guard. And now, Cody, you know, he had reps all through training camp at right tackle, and that's valuable. Josh Allen, year two, improved offensive line in terms of, look, I'm not going to pull punches here. The offensive line was not good last year. You know, you and Richie left, that that was a big blow. And Cordy. Yes. So, of course. So the the line suffered last year, and then it doesn't take an, an analyst to know that. Now the line should be better, much more New talent there. They went out. They got John Brown. They got Cole Beasley. So the receiving core is better. They got Frank Gore. They drafted Singletary. You would expect McCoy to bounce back some this year. Again, the offensive line, I'm sure at least in some role, played You know the struggles that he had last year. So there's more talent and weapons around him. He is still young. He's only going into his second year. But he's clearly, you can see that he's taking on more of a leadership role at this point. What are your thoughts on him going into this second season? Right now, from what you've heard and what you've seen with your own eyes. I love how careful you are with your words in regards to the offensive line when you're talking to me as opposed to with other guests. And I, I, I truly appreciate you that. You saw me catching myself. Yeah, that yeah. probably would have been a different because, conversation. Because if, if you would have said else. they sucked, I would have said, well, it's the first that. year on a new right. OC. It's a rookie quarterback. It's, you know, I'm just kidding. Right. Well, you're um, right. No, year two, Josh Allen. I'm expecting an improvement. I saw an improvement at the end of the year. He played early, got hurt. And, and yes, he, he did he light the world on fire in the passing game towards the end of the year? No. But with very limited receivers and a dinged-up Charles Clay and an offensive line that was really struggling, man, he made some like mature plays, like really quick reads, um, some matchup throws, which which his ma- his top matchup was Robert Foster, an undrafted Who rookie free agent. He got cut. Yeah. He got cut early in the year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That's his matchup. He's attacking and he's throwing dimes, you know, down near the goal line to Robert Foster when he's manned up. And credit Robert, I mean, had an awesome end of the year. Oh, yeah. But, like, if that's your matchup that you're attacking, like, that that's tough. And he and he made some really uh, good pre-snap reads that allowed him to get the ball out of his hand. It appeared I'm not inside their meetings anymore. So I, I don't know that for a fact. It has to be the case. When you can get rid of the ball out of your hands on third down in about a second and a half like he did towards the end of the year, 
those are pre-snap reads, and that's that's good stuff. That's that's development, and that was probably the beauty of him sitting out a few weeks was getting to watch it. Oh shoot, this is what they're doing early in games to people. This is what they do late. This is how they set you up for this. I expect him to have a better year from the passing numbers, um, you know. But and, and yes, like everybody, I want him to take less shots. I'm always joking around about it on Twitter. Like, no, Josh, we don't want you to to jump over a guy or. You know, he he made it's the comment. Like he can't help it though. He made the comment the other day. Like I'm looking to get banging around a bit. I'm like, not in this one. <laughs> I, I, a great night would be you not taking a single lick tomorrow night through one quarter of action. But, um, you know, going back to my original point, I expect him to have a better year. I don't know what that looks like from a touchdown to interception. Uh, shoot, some of that will be impacted by how well the Bills' defense is playing. If they're running the ball out at the end of the games, or if it's a year like. You get into shootouts like we did in 2011 and 12, and Fitz had those Madden numbers at times. Yeah. It's like, you know, some of that's coming back. I don't know what that looks like, but from a win loss standpoint, which is a true quarterback's measurement, I would say that improves too. We spent a lot of time talking offense because the quarterback's always the sexy position. And in terms of the offensive line, it's just so many new faces and a couple new receivers. But would you agree that the strength of this team right now is still the defense? They're Absolutely. Very good defense. How good do you think this defense could be next year, especially if the offense is better to help them? You know, in a passing league, I love the amount of corners and safeties that the Bills have assembled. They've they've created depth with Coleman at safety. Um, they draft Johnson at safety, which I've heard good things about him. And then the depth at cornerback is just incredible right now. Of guys that fit this scheme. They fit the McDermott Bean DNA. Guy like EJ Gaines. I loved EJ Gaines when he played with me. His locker was actually right in between mine and Richie's, and we'd always mess with him. I'd like put on his shirt, and we'd always switch his music up and stuff. <laughs> we'd had a ton of fun with him. But uh, you know, you get him back, and you got Trey White and Levi Wallace and Taron Johnson. I mean, you have Kevin oh, Johnson too. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Johnson. You have so many quality guys. So as strong as the secondary is, I love that in this day and age i think corner is the hardest position to play on the field right now and to be that strong there is great um you know you lose kyle williams but you fill in ed oliver and don't want to put too much pressure on him but if he can create some havoc up front and you got a solid linebacking core everybody coming back this is their third year in this defense you would assume that they'll hit the ground run in week one Mamelino is a guy that I really like watching play and if, if he could stay healthy for a full season he's the kind of guy i think could be a pro bowl type linebacker for sure absolutely he's a, he's a playmaker and he's aggressive and he's smart and he's tough and those guys are are, are the guys you want on your team and and they can't he could make a pro bowl because he was making a name for himself last year and and you know when the bills are losing and you're playing in western new york if you could make a pro bowl you really did something special sure and he was getting he was garnering some national attention um you know he's coming off a broken leg i did the exact injury he did now me at 305 was probably more to come back off of than him at 235 i know i wasn't quite moving to start the year maybe more training camp than i would have liked to going into the next season from all i've heard he looks phenomenal again so um yeah i expect matt milano to have a great year zo zo looks younger every time i see him i keep joking around with him i'm like dude you keep losing a little bit of weight i'm like you're just gonna play forever i could see, see this is the difference between having a skype interview and talking to you you start talking ball and start talking players, and you can just see you get that glow to you. So your excitement starts to lock in with you, which is I kind of wanted to ask you this for that reason too. When you played, you were a locked-in starter. Your job was in in jeopardy. The preseason, 
did you hate the preseason because you were a player? It's just like the only thing that could happen in the preseason. Well, there's other things too, but getting hurt is obviously the biggest thing. But now you're in the broadcast booth. So you're probably looking forward to the preseason. And you said it might be harder because it's the preseason. But I would also suspect that you're much more looking forward to the preseason now. If nothing else, just be able to hone your craft over the next month or so too before the regular season games start. Describe that difference between being a player and probably hating it as opposed to now. Man, it's funny you make that comparison because I made that comparison to John Murphy. So we've done a couple days of mock games. And I said, look, the same approach I took the preseason when I was playing is I want to take to this broadcast gig. And that was anybody can take a clip of you at any time, no matter if it's preseason or regular season and say, that's who Eric Wood is. If I dogged it in the preseason, someone could show a quick clip of that on Twitter in week eight. And no one knows, no one in the national media knows that that was game one in the preseason. And it could be me being a, getting smoked or being lazy. Well, the same with the broadcast booth. I go out there tomorrow night and make a fool of myself and stutter a bunch and don't know people's names and call, call real player like you know call significant thank you we're getting some good lucks in here that, that's where I, that, Sunny a, like as i the, talk about stuttering on a broadcast i get i get stopped by right a now. fan mid-broadcast but anyways um you know i want to sound good tomorrow i want it to sound you know it's not gonna be perfect i understand that but that's the approach i took and you know what training camp practices you get really tired of hitting your hitting your own guys. It was always a nice break once preseason games rolled around because then you get a day off prior, and then you play the game, and then generally you get another day off. It, it was almost like getting a break because, you know, I'd play one quarter maybe in the first game, maybe a series or two. Second game, kind of the same. Third game, you get some real action. And fourth game, shoot, I haven't played in a fourth preseason game in a while. Yeah. So I enjoyed when they started, but – my last year, I separated my shoulder in our third preseason game. I mean, that lingered for four weeks. I didn't miss any time. I didn't miss a practice. I actually, this is this is this. I was a meathead. I, you know, when I played, I was kind of a meathead. But I signed my contract extension right before the Ravens preseason game in the locker room in pads. That's how close we were, and I was potentially not going to play without a new deal because we were so close. I didn't want to risk injury. Well, I did it. Well, I I separated my shoulder right before the half and played the rest of the series, and I go in the locker room, and with an AC sprain, you get a shot in your shoulder because they tell you it doesn't get any worse, so you just take a, a shot, and then you got you can continue to play. Well, McDermott was going to send the starters out for another series, and he was like, no, Wood, you're fine. Sit down, and I'm like, what's that say to the guys if I sign a contract extension before the season and I, or before this game, and I would have come back and played if it was regular season, but I don't go out there with my guys. I said, I'm not real comfortable with that. So I played in our third preseason game with a separated shoulder that day, and that's when the preseason stinks because you get dinged up there. Well, then that lingers into the regular season. Sure. If you do think if players had, if they had their say, there would be no preseason. How do you feel about potentially as a player, as a former player, an 18 game season in the NFL? Do you think that's something that's not going to go over well if it ever happens at all? I don't think it's great from a number of standpoints, player safety being one of them. I think one of the things that's still special about the NFL compared to other major sports is how meaningful all the games are. Right. And does two games kill that? No. But you know what? I, you know, uh, Popovich rests guys all the time with the Spurs strategically. Maybe the Patriots start doing that. Maybe some other teams start resting guys. Now, you know, you forfeit a game in late November 
to gear up for a big no December because you can. I, it, I'm just, I just don't know what that can of worms opens. I understand from a monetary standpoint how big it could be for the NFL. Those, you know, I, I don't know what the percentage is, maybe 9% increase. Well, you do that for all the TV contracts and everything else. Well, now you're talking about a ton more revenue and what they're preaching to the players is, hey, you get a percentage of the pie. The pie is going to get so much bigger. What I would argue is, yeah, the quarterback's contracts will keep going up and, yeah. you know, the old lineman will still keep making what we are, <laughs> you know. But regardless, I, there there is a lot of – it's very valuable to play these preseason games from an evaluation standpoint. Do you need four? I don't know. Maybe not. I always thought it was dumb when they caught the rosters down really hard before the fourth preseason game, and then you don't play your starters. So then you just run these young dudes ragged on a football field, and some of them got to play the next week. So yeah. – I don't know what the perfect sauce is. That's above my pay grade. But I do know there's value in preseason games. And the 18-game season just scares me a little bit. I hear you. I agree with that. I am with Eric Wood at Sunny Reds in Lackawanna. He's had some delicious wings. By the way, I also had a little bit of pizza here. Eric didn't. He's on a no-carb kick right now. I'm certainly not. So I got after that pizza. It was really good. I wanted to spend a couple of minutes talking about your podcast. Yep. What's next with Eric Wood? There's at least not many, but there's some fans out there who might not know much or if anything about it at all. Tell them a little bit about it, what you do, and the nice little twist that you have on your podcast, which I think makes it different because it's not just straight football talk. Or There's other layers to it that I think makes it stand out and is unique. So I was sitting around in January this year, I guess, December or January, I had no job offers in the media world. I, I felt like I needed to create some content. I met with a local podcast producer in town and we were kind of brainstorming and you know, ultimately we settled on I don't really know what's next. You know, I wanted to talk to guys about transitioning. So we, we called it What's Next with Eric Wood. Come along with me on this journey where I interview guys and I kind of figure out what's next for me and what we've kind of what our niche has kind of been is People, whether you're in, you know, we've had country music stars, we've had professional baseball players, football players, we had a pastor of a mega church. No matter what you're, what area you're in, transitioning in life is tough. Yeah. And so we have some really good conversations. We have some good laughs. I mean, I, I had Richie on there. There's going to be some laughs, Fred Jackson and this and that. Um, there will be a number of Bills guys in the future, a number of guys that I know um, throughout many different industries that'll be future guests in the future. But for me, I'm just enjoying having just just great conversations with people. Yeah. It's got, you, you rarely do you ever get to sit with someone for you know. I, I tell people that people always ask me how long do they last. I said as long as you want to talk, they've gone from 30 minutes to 75 minutes. But um, you know, you don't get a lot of conversations like that nowadays. Everyone's so accessible through a text message or a tweet or whatever it may be, and just to have like deep intellectual conversations and it stretches me. And, and what it's done for me is it's helped me with my interview skills, which I'm going to have to improve on, you know, for future gigs. You've had some really good guests on over the first, what, I think 11 episodes there's been. Now you've had Richie Incognito, Will Wolford, who's, he, I've had him on this podcast. One of the best Bills offensive linemen ever, man. Maybe arguably the right. best offensive tackle in if franchise he would, history. If he would have stayed, you know, that was, he couldn't stay. Indy the gave the, yeah. well, Indy gave the poison pill. Yeah. That's why it's banned now, yeah. but he couldn't stay. But if he would have stayed in Buffalo and played all 13 of his years, he'd be on the Wall of Fame. He'd be a potential Hall of Famer. Sure. 
you know, because he would be held in the same regard as all the other early 90s Bills. And, and, you know, he was so good and so talented. But people forgot it because he went to Indy and then he went to Pittsburgh. And, you know, he didn't really stake a, a super long claim. Now, Buffalo, he's here for seven years. Right. But if you don't end your career here, sometimes it's hard for people to truly appreciate what all you did. And people who don't understand the contract situation is like, right. oh, he sold out. Well, he, he talked about it. It's, it's not that he wanted to leave. How could you not, though? Right. Was, and then they did the poison pill. Like you said, you saw also, you mentioned Fred Jackson. Non-Bills players, you've had studs like Nick Mangles been on the podcast. Joe Thomas yep. was just recently on. Michael Ray, country music star, has been on. It's an impressive list, man. Props on that. And I, and you talked about this. I really like the fact that it's not just football players. Which, by the way, on your very first episode, you kind of had, unknowingly maybe at the time, had a scoop. Because you had Richie on the podcast. Right. And he had talked. I talked. We talked about this while we were eating dinner tonight. He talked about playing in the NFL again. I thought it was. Well, I, hate, I don't like to associate right. that. You know, I, I thought that was insane for that, just the thought of that. But it's actually happened now. He said that on your podcast. And sure enough. At least for the time, he's in Raiders camp right now. Yeah, and I at that point, I hadn't seen him in 13 months in person. You know, it had been since early January. We recorded that in late January, early February out in Scottsdale. So I hadn't seen him in like 13 months. Now, we had spoken on the phone, and he went through some stuff, and he'll admit it. But when I saw him and I saw how dialed in he was again, because when Richie's dialed in, he's so great sure. and he's unbelievable. And I tried to, through my intro on the podcast, give a couple quick tidbits on what he's truly all about and how good of a dude he is. And um, so when he, when I saw that, I knew that if someone would give him a shot, that it would have a chance. And I made a couple calls on his behalf to offensive line coaches and stuff around the league. And ultimately, you know, when an offensive line coach walks into a general manager or an owner and says, I want to bring him in. Sometimes they think, you know, the media circus is worth more than a 36 year old guard. But I think Oakland's really excited about what they got in Richie right now. That's cool. Were there some nerves the first few episodes? Because you work hard, you put it together, you have really good conversations, you feel great about it, send it off to your producer, it's produced, it comes out. But you never really know how it's going to do until it's out. Did right. you have some nerves on that? Like I, Not so much in terms of how many people are going to hear this, but like the feedback that you get from people who do. You know what? Um my goal with it wasn't to create a top 10 podcast. I knew that if I kind of sold my soul and went against kind of my morals and told stories about guys from when I played or me and Richie went on there and talked about some big nights of drinking we had and stuff, I probably could have got up sure. there with some of the big dog, at least on a, on a weekly basis. If I would have done that one, if me and Mangold would have told stories about times where we've gone out or whatever it may be. But I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted to create valuable content that I could, A, use as a resume builder. My kids could listen to one day. You know, so for me, it wasn't about making the top 10 list. Now, the fact that we have some sponsors that, you know, pay the bills and all that is great. You know, it'd be one thing if it was costing me money each week, but it's not. So that's that's great. Um, but it's funny as I listen to him back and I don't know if it's cause I'm a perfectionist or everybody, I actually had not had this conversation with someone else who does podcasts. I always, I don't feel like I sound as good when I listen to myself back as I felt like I did in the moment. <laughs> right. I completely agree with that. And I've been, that's something I've been paranoid. If I took me probably 50 episodes to start to feel comfortable when I'm listening to it back saying, okay, 
I was always, con- that was my biggest thing I was concerned about the first dozen or maybe two dozen episodes that I had out. I'm like, all right, well, no one's making fun of the way I sounded, nothing else. So <laughs> that part is good. In terms of prep, people do it different ways. Like I'm sitting here having a chat with you. I could probably, if I printed this out, I'd probably have a million pages right now. Other people I've done podcasts with, they have a phone with maybe two or three sentences and they just really wing it. What's your prep like? How much how much research? Well, I'm sure you do your homework before you talk to somebody, but like, do you have a lot of notes? Do you kind of wing it off the top of your head and just go by the flow of the conversation? How's that process for you? I'm a preparation guy. I've always, I've always had been. I always feel like your confidence comes from your preparation. So I go into these very prepared. Now, a guy like Richie, I didn't have to read any articles on Richie. Now, I put some, I put a bunch of notes down mm-hmm. and stuff I wanted to get to if it came up, you know. Now, I want it to flow like a conversation. So my, 12th question might come second if that's where he goes but i have a bunch of stuff written down because i don't want to waste someone's time and I, I want it to sound good you know when i when i interviewed bob russell who i mentioned we had a mega pastor from a church this guy built a church from 180 members to twenty five thousand people and he is so cr- he's 75 years old and he preaches around the country still all the time he's so sharp but he lives in louisville well, I did not want to waste this guy's time. I read two of his books. I listened to a few of his sermons he did recently. I quoted him in different articles he's written because I wanted him to know that I took my time on this. If you're going to take an hour out of your extremely busy schedule and you're traveling and you got kids and grandkids, I want you to know that I put my work in. Yeah. I think the key to having a successful podcast, and especially like with yours, is having a little unique of twist. Like if I had Eric Wood on and we talked for an hour and I did nothing but talk about the bills, like the current bills. You can hear that anywhere. You can hear right. that in WGR. You can hear that in a million different places. I love the twist that you have about people transitioning into their next phase of their life. I think that really makes it work for you. I appreciate we're, it. We're going to wind down. By the way, Eric, for everyone out there listening, literally got off an airplane, got in the car, came here, met me for wings, doing this podcast. I'm going to have to still go to your hotel. Right. Check in, get as much rest as you can, because this is a big day for you tomorrow, Thursday, when people are listening. So I, first and foremost, I really appreciate you just for that. I'm not going to take up much more of your time. I do have a handful of fan questions. I submitted on Twitter and Facebook, said I was going to have Eric on, and uh, just a couple of questions I'm going to read. Let's off knock them out. Let's knock them out, man. C. Helig 1 says, and I don't like the wording of this, so I'll, I'll change it. Who's the craziest teammate you've had in a and then he says immediately, Richie and Teal, Terrell Owens, come to mind. I want to scale that back a little bit. Again, I'm not a big fan of that word crazy. When associated with Richie, just because he's went through struggles, he's doing great now. That's amazing. Hope he becomes an all-pro guard again. But anyway, let's say your wildest teammate, not counting former left guard colleagues of yours. Who's, who's the wildest You know, this teammate? can go in so many different directions. Like Fitz was wild, like goofy, prankster, um, but he's not like wild party animal wild like sean merriman like was a superstar you know like he was a big name out west in california and he came here like a superstar like hey where do you get bottle service around here like i, I don't know i got a buddy at encore you might be able to take care of you know and so like you know him like so there were some guys that like liked that scene too and um you know there's there's guys like Trey White that danced constantly. I one of the guys who could make me laugh without ever trying was Leotis McKelvin, which I know they do they play like that twelve 
days of bills or whatever it's called and you always hear him every year but <laughs> leotis is like leotis would walk around with the fattest dip you've ever seen in your life and he talks like a cajun and he's always like half asleep and he would just literally like make me cry and laugh and just like in a meeting he'd make some point and the whole team would just start dying laughing because he, no one could understand him. He's hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, man, there I just have so many. I mean, I could go on for days about, well, there was also a lot of turnover. When you play for seven head coaches in nine years, you get a lot of teammates too. <laughs> All right. At SK8KGB wants to know, listen, I'm sure you've been asked this a million times. So here comes a million one. I apologize. Is it true he, as an Eric, really told Aaron Maben to give back some of that damn money that he didn't earn. I'd love to hear your story behind that. That was a very well publicized thing. You got yeah, and I and I didn't say damn, unfortunately. Uh, but <laughs> but um, if, you know, it, the context of the story was we were in a thud drill, and he tackled Fred Jackson, our starting running back, the best player on our team at the time. Tackled tackles him when he's not looking it wasn't like he thudded him up from the front and fred fell on his back he like got him from like the side rear and i actually wasn't even in pads that day i was i was coming off my broken leg my second year so it was my second year not my rookie year and um we got into it and you say regrettable things when you're in a little spat with somebody me and aaron were buddies you know we spent a lot of time together as first rounders that year we lived together in the spring prior in OTAs, our rookie year, they roomed us together. So me and Aaron were buddies. And I guess sometimes you'll say something to a buddy that you wouldn't say to someone random. Unfortunately, I hadn't understood that how viral stuff could go at that point in my life yet. <laughs> Let's stick it with that real quick here. This is not someone else's question. This is mine because I want to feed off what you just said. Someone like Aaron Maben. Now, you never experienced this. Your first-round pick, but you were hardly a bust. You were a very good NFL player. Aaron was not a very good NFL player. How tough do you think it is for, for a player to deal with having that label over him the rest of his life? You know, you get drafted very high, and for whatever reason, maybe it's injury, maybe it's just a team overvalued you. You know, with Dante Whitner, the, the, the eighth pick of the draft. I, I'm not a big Dante Whitner fan. Right, I was going to say, he went on that. to have an okay career. Yeah, he had a decent career for sure. But I get what you're saying. But there's yeah. some guys that they just, they don't pan out to what they're expected to be. They're drafted way too high and they get that bust label. How hard do you think it is for a player to be able to live with that for the rest of their life? Oh, extremely tough. But you know, Aaron played one year as a 20 year old at Penn state, you know, yeah. and had a, and he rushed the edge and ran around people. It's not his fault. The bills took him at yeah. 11 or you know, 11th pick in the draft. It's not his fault that Cushing and Brian Arakbo went on the other two sides of on the other, on both sides of him. But you know, it is on him. You know, he, he got a lot thinner. He weighed 255 at the combine and came to the bills at like 235, you know, three months later, that's, that's a lot of weight to lose. And I get it. I mean, you drink a bunch of water and you're pumped up for the combine and all that, but you know, I think he thought it was gonna be a little bit easier to rush the edge in the NFL than it was. And time kind of ran out on him because, you know, Rex Ryan gave him a flyer and, you know, he, he did have a couple good yeah, games he, for them in the certain Jets. packages, but you know, it's tough for, you know, it's tough on guys like that. Hell, you know, when I got injured my first four years in the league, I was sitting there like, am I a bust? You know, I'm giving them all. I've never been hurt in my life. I started every single game from my freshman year through my senior year of college. And now, you know, I can't stay healthy. And, you know, I felt that pressure, honestly. Ken on Facebook wants to know, do you have any superstitions that you stick to? Do you have any superstitions? 
No, not well. When I was playing, probably my biggest superstition was, you know, being a center, you never want any backdoor issues. And one time I went into the training room and I needed like some Pepto-Bismol or something. So they handed me a bottle of it and it wasn't one of those jumbo bottles, but it also wasn't like a one shotter. Well, I drank a majority of it. And the next week I went in there and I said, well, I played really good last week, hand it to me again. And, uh, they opened up a new bottle and I said, do you all open up a new bottle every week? They're like, yeah, we don't really travel or keep like a quarter of a Pepto. So every week I would drink a majority of a Pepto-Bismol, but then it got to the point where it kind of became a running joke where I'd look at the expiration date and we'd treat it like a bottle of wine and I'd say, ooh, this is an August of 19. Ooh, this is a good vintage. Like, ooh, this one's just almost expired. I bet it's aged well, you know? So that, that was probably my biggest one while I was playing. At Bent Up 871, who were a few of your football idols growing up as a kid? You know, I was a huge Bengals fan. You know, I ranged from, you know, Boomer was there when I was a real little kid, but I don't really remember those days. I loved like Jeff Blake when he came in and got hot those one or two years. Um, you know, I had a Peter Wark jersey when I was a kid. I had a Takeo Spikes jersey, which was funny because I was messing with him that I was playing with his nephew, Brandon, and how old he was and all that. And, um, you know, I liked Carson Palmer and a number of mainly Bengals guys. And since. My favorite Bengals player of all time, but it's more about my relationship with him now, is Anthony Munoz, like just one of the most phenomenal people ever. But I was a football fan in general, and I think if you grew up during that time, you kind of drew towards the Bills or Cowboys. I wasn't a fan of either team, but probably because they were winning, I was like a Troy Aikman fan yeah. or whatever. I think I had a Cowboys starter jacket. <laughs> but, you know, at that, at that time, you know, in Cincinnati, you were looking to cling on to any winner. Last couple here. At Candy CL431, what was the first teammate you told when you found out the news that you were going to be forced to retire? Oh, that's a great question. Um, probably Richie. Um, I'm trying to think. Man, well, I held the news for about a week or so. I got the news, and then we sought other opinions, and every doctor we talked to said no, 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 you'll never be cleared again. And I'm like, well, what if we get the surgery, this and that? No, no, no. So I so I was an alternate for the Pro Bowl at the time, and yeah. Richie was already going to the Pro Bowl. And so we were rooting for the Steelers to go to the Super Bowl or somebody else because then I was going to go because Pouncey or somebody else was going to drop. So I think eventually I probably told Richie, like, hey, you can quit rooting for those teams because I can't go regardless. And it was so it was probably him. Okay. Tom on Facebook wants to know what's been your secret to slimming down. You look fantastic. We talked about this a little bit at the top. Besides, like I said, staying away from me for the rest of this chicken wing tour after uh, yeah. this podcast. What's been the secret, though? For you, you know, what for me, early on, intermittent fasting helped where I was only eating maybe during a six or eight hour window during the day. And the reason that worked was because for 15 years, I was trying to put on weight and I was eating around the clock. Mm -hmm. Every morning when I woke up, I drank a shake. Every night before I went to bed, I drank a shake, pretty calorie dense to make sure I always had calories in me. Well, when I first got the injury or when I first, you know, after that injury press conference and all that, I was still gravitating towards the pantry just because it was routine and habit. Mm -hmm. So by doing the intermittent fasting, I was able to break a lot of those habits, you know, now keeping the weight off, you know, it's just kind of, for me, it's a lot of balance. Like I, 
especially in this TV gig. I don't know that people want to see me at 220 pounds. I won't look like an O-line. I won't look like a football player. They want a football player, you know, covering games. You and look that's, like a linebacker. I uh, appreciate <laughs> nah, that. You do, but, nah, you're still big enough. You can play center right now still. Well, I'd get tossed around at center at 260 <laughs> or 255, 260, whatever I am. But regardless, so and then, you know, in my life, like if I'm coming to Buffalo on the weekend and I know I'm going to eat and drink good, during the week I'm going to yeah. cut the calories down because ultimately I'm going to catch them back up this weekend. Yeah. So I, I try not to go too overboard for long periods of time. So it's definitely balanced. And second last question here, Patrick Moran from the Moranalytics podcast wants to know, that if we were in a bar right now and there was karaoke going on and you could get up there and you could sing one song right now that in your, even if it's your own fantasy world that you would absolutely excel at, that the people would get up, they'd want to be singing along with you, they'd want to get your autograph afterwards, not because you're a football player, but because you're the best singer in the entire state. What song would you pick to get down with at karaoke? I won't hold this against you because you haven't known me that long and this is our first face-to-face meeting, but you should know the answer to this if we were buddies because... Uh, I sing should have been a cowboy with not even necessarily at karaoke bars with bands. A lot of times, you know, I'll tip them and let me sing you with know them. What? I did hear that. Story, okay. Though. I mean, I've sang it from Maui all the way to Key West and as far North as New York city on stages. So, <laughs> I, you awesome. know, my buddies always joke around. We do a big third of July party. We bring in a band from Nashville every year. They're like, it's hilarious that you'll spend that much money so that you can simply sing in front of us every year. And you'll you'll assemble 150 people in your backyard and pay a band just so you can get up on stage. You know, there's probably cheaper <laughs> ways of doing this. All right, last question here. Sal Capaccio from WGR 550, your new Bills game day radio colleague, yep. wants to know how bad will Syracuse beat Louisville this year in college football and or basketball? basketball Syracuse has got no shot Louisville's got an awesome team this year um in football um now that I I can give a fairly decent ACC take now that I've been doing some preliminary research into the conference Louisville's going to be bad again this year how bad we'll see but they're going to be bad again Syracuse has had a few good years I love Dino Babers but that you know whenever you're replacing the quarterback there's a question mark so um Gosh, I hope it's not as bad as last year. I hope it's I, I hope we can if we can keep Syracuse under fifty points, then I would say it would be less than a twenty five point loss, but uh that's that's no guarantee, especially with the pace that Syracuse plays, which is part of the reason why they give Clemson so many fits, because Clemson's defense is predicated on formational tendencies. When you go fast it hurts them. But the problem is when you when you go that fast against Clemson, you give them too many possessions, and eventually they're going to beat you. Yeah. It's a catch-22. Syracuse has got to find that uh, sweet spot where they speed it up, slow it down, or whatever they do. But, uh, no, Syracuse football is um, trending in the right direction, and they need to do anything they can to keep Daniel Babers around because that guy – is uh, he reignited the program and the energy up there is phenomenal. I love his locker room speeches. Good stuff. All right, everyone, follow Eric on Twitter at Ewood70. I'm going to turn the volume off on the TV during Bill's games this year, man. I'm I appreciate back in Florida. that. I'm really looking forward to hearing you on the air with Murph. Sail on the sidelines is going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for getting off a plane, getting in your car, coming right here. I know you got a lot of stuff ahead of you. Have fun. Good luck tonight. People will be listening to this on Thursday, so good luck tonight at the game. I'm sure you're going to kill it. 
Thanks for doing the pod, man. No, my pleasure. Thanks for shouting out my podcast. Um, and thanks to Sonny Reds and, and my buddies Justin over here and uh, all the guys that do a great job here. All right, that is going to do it for this episode. Big thank you again to Eric Wood. Big thanks as well to Sunny Reds in Lackawanna. This place is great. Good wings, good pizza. Definitely stop out. New episodes continue next week from Buffalo. Got a few more wings with guests and a few more new spots to try. Thanks, everyone here at Sunny Reds for a good time. Thanks to all of you for listening. And I'll talk to you again soon. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.